welcome to the Anti-Architect Podcast. I am your host, Christian Giordano. As president and owner of the design firm Mancini Duffy, I am driven by a quest for learning and radically changing the industry. With this podcast, I'm hoping to improve the industry that I'm so passionate about by taking a critical look at how architects work through a variety of voices and shared experiences. Hello, Anti-Architect Podcast listeners. I am excited to have Noel Viaborda as my guest here on the Anti-Architect Podcast. Noel is the Senior Program Manager for Workplace Design at Adobe, which she joined in 2019. Adobe is probably best known for its groundbreaking, innovative, creative cloud suite of software, such as Photoshop. Uh, I would assume everybody knows that. At Adobe, Noelle focuses on the workplace ecosystem, which is the global future of workplace strategy, inclusive design, employee engagement, and refining of the vision of the future of Adobe's workplace. She is dedicated to creating an awesome employee experience and designing policies, processes, and environments for a digital first future. Noelle previously worked at Adobe's California office and has just recently moved back to the East Coast. So, Noelle, thank you so much for being my guest here today. Yeah, thank you, Kristen. It's great to be here. Awesome. So I would love to talk about one of my favorite uh, subjects, uh, both on the podcast and sort of, you know, uh, outside of the podcast. And that is really the pandemic and the changing of the workplace, right? And um you know, specifically the office, uh, you know, as an architect, uh, architecture firm that we have, we we design a lot of corporate office space, right? And it's, it's, it's really, luckily, it's not the only thing we do. Uh, we do many different types of work, but we're very well known for, for corporate office. And, um, and especially in New York City, where it's a, it's a, it's a big market. Um, and thankfully, coming back uh, a bit. So, you know, I'd love to get sort of your um, narrative on kind of a, a bunch of different things with it. So, you know, when I think of my own office, right, uh, pre-pandemic, it was all about um, the socialization that we were there, the culture that we created. And then, you know, everybody was there five days a week. And, you know, as sort of, I, I guess I, I'm not too much of a clock watcher, but, you know, I would definitely notice if it was light on a certain day and, you know, all of those kind of things. And, Ever since the pandemic, that's really shifted and changed for us. And we're three days a week in the office, two days. Um, and, you know, it's it's definitely something that that many different um, companies are, are either struggling with or embracing. You know, where do you see sort of that, you know, post-pandemic office world going? Yeah, I love that. I think we're all trying to figure that out actively in the moment. I can start with, you know, what our journey has been like, which I think has been interesting for everybody, right? In March, 2020, the world changed. We were similar um, in that a lot of our people went in five days a week. I met myself being one of them on our headquarters in San Jose at that time. And we all moved into a fully remote workforce overnight. 
survive, you know, surviving, going through a pandemic, which was, you know, incredibly taxing, difficult for many, many people in many different geographies around the world. And we immediately really jumped into pivoting what we were, the work that we were doing before and jumping quickly into understanding what our people needed, understanding what, you know, what they needed in that very particular moment. And then also pivoting into what do we need to do to understanding employee sentiment of how we should start framing the workplace of the future and how we want to work in the future. Ultimately, it came down to what role does place and what role does place actually take in, in a world that at that time was fully remote. And so it was, it was a really great journey. We really started with our people to understand what our where our people were thinking, the types of policies they might want to see for the future, the value that they saw in from the business side of things that, that were working for them in a remote environment and things that they were really missing. And there were a lot of things that they were missing, it turns out. Um, and so as we've come along this journey of a couple of years, we've been able to map out policies and strategies. They're really based in employee sentiment and also the vision of where we, you know, we want the company to go at the higher, highest levels of our leadership into the future. And for us, that's that's a hybrid. We're working through a hybrid transition in this moment. So we see the benefit of coming together for the moments that matter, and we really trust our leadership and our teams to design a workflow and a way of working that works really best for them. And so there's a purpose that the office is going to have, and there's a purpose that the home office or the elsewhere office is going to have for sure, hence workplace ecosystem and not just the office. And so what if we, you know, we're coming back into this moment now of starting to be able to understand how the office is getting used in different geographies globally, and it's definitely different sentiments depending on where you are. And... You know, our vision for the future is designing spaces for people to really come together for the things you really can't get up, can't get at home. Do we think that people are going to come to the office to be on webcams, you know, and virtual meetings all day? I really hope not. That's a great tool for at home, especially with how global our company is. We're 26,000 people in, you know, more than 35 different countries. So sometimes you have to take calls at odd hours. Sure. A lot of that's better at home. People have people are caretakers in their lives. A lot of that's you know helps be able to drop off pick up kids or help with parents at home. But there's a lot that the office brings to the table for us. So uh, we see an office that isn't as much centralized on the desk anymore. I mean, I know we used to have tons of desks in our offices. I'm sure you did too. Lots of people lined up in the open plan, and we're really taking a look at what our strategy needs to be for the future for supporting community, supporting culture, gathering, as well as, uh, you know, we're, we have this new concept called an onsite offsite that we've been testing with teams. How do you do that hybrid? How do you do that remote? And how can we start to bring that together in person and create an interesting in-person, but also hybrid experience? We've learned a lot through that too. So I think it's all about, those coming together for the moments that matter is what we're designing for. What that output is and what those actual, all the details of the rat space is, we're still trying to figure out. 
Okay, that's good to know. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think there's been a bit of a shift. I, I've noticed it over the last few months, really, where, um, especially in our office, you know, we give an option and the office is pretty crowded all the time. Um, and I was, I had a, a bunch of business leaders in our office, uh, about a week ago. And one of the founders of his particular company, I was touring him through the office and he said, oh my God, there's so many people here. How did you do it? And he said, I'm really jealous of that. And I remember him saying a few months before that is, oh, we don't need to go to the office. Nobody needs to go to the office kind of thing. And then he was jealous of the fact that we had all the, probably there was good, you know, 60, 70 people in our office. And he was very excited to see that. And he said, how did you do it? And I said, I'm not exactly sure, but, you know, we, you know, A, we're, we're totally flexible. Um, and we, we, we have a loose policy, right? Whatever that means, three days, two days, uh, nobody's keeping track, you know, big secret, right? I mean, nobody's actually taking attendance, so who knows? Um, but we also have created a culture where people like to be together, you know, and we, oh. we as, as designers and architects, we, we, we like, we, we do collaborate on things. I mean, for real, we need to sit at each other's tables and desks and look at samples and look at, you know, look at drawings and really try to interact oh. with one another and figure things out together. I mean, it certainly works better in person than it does, you know, in a virtual environment. <clears throat> um, you said something that I did, it, it it struck me. I never thought about this until just now. When I worked, one of my first jobs was at a large architecture international firm, and there was a China office. And I'll date myself here as before cell phones. And if there was a call, you'd have to wait in the office until that call would happen or get up really early. Like you'd have to be there at four o'clock in the morning or something crazy like that, right? For this, these calls to happen. And Oh, what a nightmare. So I can only imagine just the uh, an international play. This is so much easier being able to just pick up a video and call in, you know, from wherever you are. You've also lost the stigma of looking at someone in their house. If I, and again, I'm learning as we go. And if I'm learning, I'm assuming, you know, many, many others are as well. When I look and I see someone in their house, I don't judge them as lazy person not going to work. I just don't know this is the day that they're home. Right. It's totally fine. Totally acceptable. So there's a change in all of that. So I want to read you a letter because I'm curious to get your um, reaction from this. I like that. <laughs> um, because I posted this letter and I got all sorts of like interesting, you know, back and forth about it. I ne never responded to the to, to the comments. Really try not to because, you know, there's so many like crazy people. But um, in general, this is so. So I want to read you this letter and get your reaction. Um, so the, the subject is to, to be super clear, everyone at Tesla is required to spend a minimum of 40 hours in the office per week. Moreover, the office must be where your actual colleagues are located, not some remote pseudo office. If you don't show up, we will assume you've resigned. The more senior you are, the more visible you must be, your presence must be. This is why I live in the factory so much of the time. So those on the line can see me working alongside of them. If I had not done that, Tesla would no, would no longer have, uh, Tesla would have long ago gone bankrupt. Um, there are of course companies that don't require this, 
But when is the last time they shipped a great new product? It's been a while. Tesla has and will create an actual manufacture. Sorry, Tesla has and will create and actually manufacture the most exciting and meaningful products on as a company on earth. This will not happen by phoning it in. Thanks, Elon. What is your, when you saw, I assume you saw that letter, um, what, what was your reaction to something like that? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't love, you know, comparing our company to many others, especially because we're such a different business, obviously, than they are if we're fully cloud-based business. And even before the pandemic, one in three employees at Adobe were on a distributed team. So even if you had gone into the office, you might not be with your team. So that's just been the nature of our business for a long time. And so, I mean, I think, you know, I've talked to many others who are in different uh, peers in different industries who have more space-based or manufacturing-based, even healthcare, pharmaceuticals and things. And I think their business is just very different and they're designing their policies around what they need to do to get their work done. For cloud-based companies like us, where it's software and we're not, you know, creating digital hard, you know, creating hardware in space, we have a lot of, you know, we were we were in the office five days a week at that time. And we realized that we were still doing really well at home. There were things that we missed, but we were still functioning and our products were still doing great. We were still able to innovate. Um, And I think we're just in a different, I think our our business case and what drives us as a company is just just a little different than especially something that's physical. Sure, sure. No, but there is definitely a there's there's a lot of tech component to him, right? There's certainly aspects mm-hmm. of that company sure. that do not need to be present for. I'm sure there's plenty of coding and programmers. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say the reaction that I got to that was was very mixed. You know, some people were like, right on, you know, that's it, five days a week, get your butt into work. And others, you know, really kind of said that, you know, this is this is ridiculous. And obviously I think a lot of it is tongue in cheek, although who who ultimately knows? He did say you could you could have an excuse and they would grant it. So, um, you know, just like anything else, hedging hedging a bet. But um, do you think that, just not speaking about Adobe in general, but do you think um, companies can can build a culture without a physical space? Is that even possible? Uh, I think companies, some companies are right now, especially some of the newer ones we've seen others, um, GitLab and Automatic can really create remote forward companies. I think the the thing that they're doing that I admire that they're doing is that they they have a very different infrastructure to allow for async tools. Um, there's just a, they're enabled in a very different way. And for us, we're going through a lot of transformation still into how we can leverage both synchronous and asynchronous communication. Um, I don't know all the dealings of all the details, of, but I've heard that some of them have even gotten off of email, which is kind of magic. <laughs> how do you how do you not need email anymore? But when you actually are just working on the project with their project team, and you have all the async tools to uh, support you and how you do that that aren't reliant on as reliant on synchronous meetings, all being in person or email. There's a load of other tools out there that I think the world has the world has yet to tap into, and it'll be really interesting to see how that goes to 
can you know can you de- design a future that is very different than than it is today in terms of productivity tools for sure. Cool. Can you define sort of asynchronous and and synchronous and in, sure. in, in the way yeah. that works it with you guys? I mean, I know the meaning. Yeah, sure. So, yeah. So we um for us, synchronous is really that together at a certain time, regardless of what time of day it is for you. You're present in a meeting over a video conference call or in person. Asynchronous is all the chat features, messaging, Slack, and all the things that can kind of happen without you having to be present. So maybe somebody types something, you go away, 20 minutes later, somebody responds, you keep kind of building along that conversation. And some work, lots of work, can get done really efficiently in that way. Uh, we use a lot of really great digital whiteboarding tools and things like that too to mark up and leave comments on work. We especially use that a lot with architects. Mm-hmm. A lot of and a lot of our work is it's so visual and we don't always have time for like a three-hour review, especially with um, as we've all gone home. I can't tell you how many finished samples I've been like have been shipped to my house and I lay them all over the ground and I lay them out. You can kind of do that synchronously. But it's also helpful to be able to, you know, see an entire environmental graphic design package laid out in kind of a digital whiteboarding tool and be able to kind of mark it up without having to do like a four-hour review live with all the designers. Sure. It's just a really great way of more. I'm on the East Coast now. A lot of my cohort and a lot of the designers I work with are. On the West Coast, I do projects in Europe, I do projects in India, Tokyo, all over the world. So for me, I think I would, uh, async is, is sometimes the only way I get to communicate with teams sometimes. So I'm sure, I'm sure. Certainly vital, and I think it will tend to get more useful over time as we get better at using it. So as, as long as I can remember, you know, we've always been talking about the office of the future, right? Um, I guess... You know, and I feel a lot of it was, um, you know, marketing kind of shtick as we'd go along. And, you know, this is what your office is going to look like, not really knowing. But I feel like now we're, we're, you know, we really need to figure out what that office of the future narrative is or it's, you know, it's going to we need to control that as, you know, someone in your position, someone in our position. Um, And I, I think kind of keeping that holistic makes a lot of sense. And so. What for you, I guess my question is, because it's in your title, what is digital first future? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, for us, this is part of our vision for the future of work at Adobe or um, all the way up from the, our leadership all the way down. We believe, you know, our, we're a digital transformation company or digital experience company. And so we're inherently a digital first company. And so why wouldn't it make sense for our workplace and our workforce to also be centered around what ultimately what our business is being built out to do? So for us, this is us being able to embrace people who are not in the same location as you all the time. Um, Obviously, we have a growing remote workforce that's slowly kind of growing over time. We have people who have relocated to different parts, like myself, who relocated for personal reasons to different parts of uh, a given country. And ultimately, we're totally global. So we have to be able to virtually connect and not rely holistically on um, 
analog tools or as much and in-person requirements certainly as much as we have in the past. And so part of this is how do we get from that physical whiteboard to a digital whiteboard where everyone can, you know, sync in a in a way that is live mm-hmm. and collaborate with each other. And so we're testing a lot of things out with that right now. We have a really great workplace app that is called Adobe Lights that we collaborated with a great pop tech company on called CX app. And you can connect to all of our, our virtual campuses through the through the app. You can wayfind around our buildings. This is all just like things that didn't exist, we didn't have in 2019. Hmm. So a lot of this is really based on us shifting and transforming any of our older analog processes. You know, we have maps on the wall. Like, what can we disrupt and and turn digital so that we can be a little less uh, analog about how we go about doing things? I mean, we are the company who took you know, paper signatures to the cloud and sent them around to email to everyone who needed them. Yeah. So we're really applying that same concept and that same methodology to our workplace too. I would agree. If anyone could do this, it's it's Adobe for sure. I, I think <laughs> I'm, if I remember, I, I probably have the statistic wrong, but like the average Photoshop user only uses like 1% of what Photoshop can actually do. It's something ridiculous like that. It's such a powerful program. Um, but but people don't realize. I mean, there's there are those that obviously really know what they're doing with it. Um, but it's it's an amazing piece of software just in general. And there's yeah. there's so much. And absolutely, it's like getting smarter like by the day with Adobe Sensei. And every I remember when I used to have to hand. I mean, I've been a long time Adobe user. And I used to have to kind of hand trace around a person to like cut out the background. Like that can be done in two seconds now. It's amazing. I know it's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) It's really great. Um, so, so continuing on the workplace side of things, um, you know, I, I, I've said this before, you know, I believe people go to work for money purpose or to be around other people. Why do you think people go to work? I think people go to work to connect and to find community, to work together with others in particular. Like I, I, for me, I've always, I've been very lucky to be able to work for companies where I love working on the teams. The teams are incredible. The people beside me are the people are some of my best friends and, you know, we're in it together for better or worse, we're going to make this awesome project happen together. And so there is, there is, there's an intangible element to being in person with your team to understand a really tricky problem, to understand how to start a new project from scratch and understand how that, what that should be to be able to plan, you know, the next year of your team and what your goals are. There are, there are certain intangibles that are, uh, lost virtually that we've seen at least you know from our leaders and all the research that we've done really bring a lot more meaning and you're able to kind of solve the tricky problems faster when you come together i think also the we have incredible programs teams at adobe between like our food well-being and events and all the things that we do to create culture and community and we have amazing something we call site councils where there are leaders within the site who create all these really cool, fun events. So I went to one in New York in the Adobe New York office last week at Union Square. We had headshots and 
uh, like snacks and a happy hour. And after coming out of the pandemic, not having a new headshot, that helps a lot of people, right? <laughs> so there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons people come in, but I guarantee you some of that is actually getting a little bit of the, the culture and a lot of really fun events to to meet new people. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. How how can you define um, inclusive design? <laughs> sure. So you know this is a good one for architecture, right? Uh huh. Because <laughs> diversity and inclusion is still is still a, a big goal that I think the industry has a long way to go. So it's a great one. The uh, so inclusive design. And universal design are, you know, sister sister terms, but ultimately, what we, what, what we how we use the the term is that we're designing space so that people feel like they belong when they are there, that they feel safe, like the space is taking care of them, like there aren't barriers to access at all, are perceived or actual. So. You know, we love the ADA and all of the international um, accessibility laws around the world. I think inclusive and universal design concepts go way above and beyond um, the ADA requirements and go beyond accessibility into, I feel like I belong here and I feel safe here. I feel like I am part of this community and this community understands me and I see myself in this. Okay. And I think that's another, you can't do that without engaging with people and talking to them about what they want and how they work and what they need. And also including diverse voices in a lot of that feedback too, and being able to get feedback about things you're not doing well too and trying to correct that. So that was actually my next question is about, you know, your role in employee, employee engagement. How do you ask, so I, how do you do that with such a huge company? You know, how do you how do you know you're you're touching the right people or as many as you can? Like, how, how can you describe that? Yeah, sure. That's a great question. So, I actually sit on the workplace experience team. We do uh, workplace design, workplace strategy, and research, and also food well being and events and all the programs. So. When I say engagement, we actually over all of our the people across all of our teams actually overlap with engaging employees across all of our programs and all the things we do for different purposes and share insights, which has been which is incredibly helpful. So sometimes we will do research on a project, much of the way that you're you're very much probably used to is kind of part before programming and being able to re- uh, interview leaders send out surveys, do some focus groups, do like a lemonade stand and ask people what they want from the space. Sometimes we do things around specific research topics. We did a lot of surveying and tons and tons of global focus groups before we rolled out a lot of our newer policies around um, remote work, relocation and things like that that have happened over the years in the last couple of years that formalized some of those policies a little bit more. And then we also do a ton of engagement on the, you know, events and the well-being and the food side to say what what kinds of things would get, you know, kind of things would you be interested in coming in for? Um, how do we create a more equitable experience for remote participants as, as well as in-person participants? All those things. So, I mean, do we always do we always get everything perfectly? I, no, nobody does. But I think when you cast the broad the net broad and do 
both qualitative and quantitative research and be able to balance those stories together so you understand the sentiment, but also the behavior sure. and how they enmesh and tell a more interesting story than maybe just a couple of data points would tell alone. Uh, you can, you know, help the decision makers make some really tough decisions. Maybe it helps us create a real estate strategy as well as um, strategy for an individual space on a project. So those are just some of the ways. I think most of it, though, that's nice is that it's always holistic and it's never just about just the environment or just this one project. We're always trying to have a global lens as much as we can, as well as overlap the program space and just human behavior, team performance aspect of all of it. Yeah, and, and you're right. You, you don't have to have the most beautiful office in the world, uh, you know, to have you know an amazing culture, right? It certainly enhances it, but it you know the 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 two can actually be separate. So you, it is a holistic approach, right? If the leadership yeah. isn't isn't great, then the company's not great. It's one of those kind of things. So you've got a. It sounds like it's very um, well rounded in how you approach all of that. Yeah, we do. We definitely do our best. We've luckily we've been able to get. Folks on our team actually come from those sides of the business. Like I'm a certified interior designer by trade myself. So I actually understand your world very well. And I'm able to explain the architecting language to everyone else who doesn't know all the jargon. As well, you know, people who've been researchers and consultants in their background or professional chefs and psychologists. And, you know, we have lots of folks with circuitous careers who it actually helps. <laughs> That's <laughs> cool. So, Interesting, strange career in, in, our, in our team. So, looking back, uh, you know, sort of your your backstory. Um, so, you, where did you go to college, and and uh, yeah, and you you started as an interior designer. You said. I actually uh, was an English major in undergrad. Oh, okay. Funny enough, cool. Going way, way, way back. I uh, have a literature and an English degree with a comms minor, and was a newspaper journalist for a few years. Um, so that had went through a digital transformation. I'm sure you know this paper back then. We were talking about who got the article above the fold and things like that. And um, I went back to school for interior architecture at Drexel in Philadelphia and really found, I think, my calling in creativity, deep research and understanding people and being able to have a conceptual idea and, and actually have people interact with that in a physical environmental way, just it, it stole my heart and it's had it ever since. Mm -hmm. So um, I always, I really will say in the last few years though, I think I've leaned on my English and communications background more. I've dug into that well of all of that training more in the last couple of years than I have ever since. I think I used to, in my early interviews coming out of graduate school, I used to have to explain why I had two different degrees and two different things. Nobody understood. They're like, are you like a person who doesn't know what they want? <laughs> like, no. <laughs> but I've come to really value the fact that I have varied experience and, you know, being architect yourself and leading a firm. I know, you you know, you probably know the architects, you know, could add some more communication skills to their repertoire, I imagine. And Definitely. It's been, it's been a really, it's been a really useful tool to be able to 
talk to clients, you know, my former career being kind of being on your side and, and now doing and what I do now, it's a lot of making sure everybody's on the same page, making sure everybody understands the ramifications of everything. There's a lot of communication involved in all of this. So coming out of Drexel, where did you work? In the field, um, I came right into Gensler, uh, New Jersey, Morristown, and then to New York. Okay, and was there for seven years. Nice. Okay, that's yeah. great. And what did Gensler? It was a, it was a great baptism of fire. Super fast paced. <laughs> biggest you, city, you know, biggest city in America, right? New York. There's nothing like New York architecture. Did you work in the on the workplace side in in terms of uh, workplace strategy, or was it more on the interior design side? Yeah, so I was in a, a design studio, and I was one of those. I was, I think, I was a little one of those folks who never wanted to be in a bucket. So we have, you know, we had lots of different studios at the time, and strategy, and brands, and yep, um, and the interior designers, and I was one of the bad actors who just wanted to do a little bit of everything. <laughs> Um, and you still use my research background and my strategy background as well as being able to design it. And so I have incredible leadership and mentorship through many, many design directors and strategy directors who said, yeah, we totally know you can do all of it. Do whatever you want. Don't be, don't be held back by the boundaries of, of how we're structured and you're great. Go for it. So sometimes I would do change management and no design. Sometimes I would do strategy programming, go through the whole design process. Sometimes I would just do the design. It kind of depended on schedule, but I always wanted to be able to keep those the strategy skills sharp as well as the design skills sharp. I think there was something about there's something about doing research, but also being in practice and having the balance of the two together that I found invaluable in actualizing a space that actually met the vision of what you heard at the beginning. Right. And I always, I always felt like there was something missing when you get handed this big research book to somebody who wasn't part of the process. And then a lot of it just gets lost because they weren't there. They didn't hear any of the feedback. Yeah. And maybe they weren't even part of creating it. Yep. Um, so there's, there's something about the whole like seamless end to end that I always found really I agree. I always lovely, which is probably why I ended up on the client side and ultimately because I love like the whole the whole thing connected to the whole thing. Yeah, I always hated when I'd get the like the program debrief and then it would be like, hey, go design this. And I, I got to talk to the client first and see why, you know, why is all this stuff exist? So I agree. Following through is, is key. And then so when do you make the switch away from Gensler and, you know, let's let's call it on the professional services side and go to the client side? Yeah, so I was in New York. I had my, I think my baby was, I had my first baby in New York City at NYU Langone. He was seven months old. And this company, a video game company called Electronic Arts called me. And I'm a big video gamer. If you know, if you know me, you know that. And I was, and my, I talked to my husband and I said, EA called me. And he said, EA, like EA Sports? I was like, yes. He said, you kind of called me back. Yeah. <laughs> <said>, okay. <laughs> Sure. And I'd always, I, previous to that, I had worked with uh, a really large client on a tower of 5,000 engineers, a brand new skyscraper in Philadelphia. And I worked with them for like six years. Okay. And I found, and I didn't, it was my only client. 
and I kind of fell in love with their culture and I liked having one client. There was something about that. Oh, interesting. That I felt enmeshed, like people at the office knew me. Um, you know, you start getting mistaken for an employee because <laughs> you're there so often, you're like fully embedded. So even leading up to that, I had been curious about what it would be like if I if I went to client side. And uh, so when it was the right opportunity, uh, yeah, I jumped and okay. they said, you want to move out to our headquarters in Redwood City? And I said, how, when? And they said, three weeks. And then I said, okay, I have a seven month old. <laughs> wow, good but we made it happen and it was, it was great. And so I spent the last, you know, five years out in California and joined Adobe about three years ago. Okay. And what brought yeah. you to Adobe? Oh, the team was incredible. The, um, I got to know them when I was at, you know, my previous company and the global workplace experience team is just an incredibly special team. We sit within the employee experience organization, HR, uh, organization. And there was something incredibly enticing about being close to the people making decisions. Um, I know a lot of real estate organizations sit within finance. There's just something special about what Adobe was doing. Um, they have beautiful offices and uh, I got to know their team and they had a, a, an opportunity and, and the rest was history. <laughs> who's, who's, There's something who's, to be said for building relationships that leads you to your next career without you actually having to do all the work to find it yourself. It's kind of great. Who's designing the Adobe offices? Is it various firms around the world or is it, is it, why is it like Gensler doing all of them or? Uh, it's pretty varied. So we, you know, we are finishing a, actually we have finished a, a beautiful new second phase to our Lehigh office um, in Utah recently. That was with WRNS and Gensler. Um, our North Tower project is a Gensler project. Um, and then we work with various firms like Studios Architecture in Europe and, and various other ones, depending on kind of the location. So we do we do regular RFPs and sure. go out to the street and ask folks to interview and kind of go through all that process. We're working, we just finished our new New York uh, office in Times Square and are going into renovate Union Square with M. Moser. So it kind of depends on the location and sure. who wins the day through the RFP process. Of course, yeah. Uh, I know that game very well. And then are you involved <laughs> in are you involved in all those that decision making? Yeah. Yeah. So we all, you know, some there's a few of us who oversee a lot of the workplace projects. And so we partner really closely with our real estate team. We have a PMO organization. Um, we all have a global site operations organization, and we it's, we're a pretty tight group of people. We understand that we represent different sides of you know Adobe's interests and parts of our business. So we really work closely together through all those processes to make the right decision for the project. Um, and we continue to partner as we go along. So we don't have kind of single decision makers at Adobe. We usually partner together with. Uh, different groups that we make sure we're staying close to the operations and the local leadership at the site who are obviously really influential in the business. Um, you know, from a design perspective, we, you know, create these amazing uh, workplace guidelines, but we also have to adapt them to the local community. Sure. We don't have super rigid guidelines. So it's, you know, we, and we also partner really closely with our brand team to make sure, you know, 
part, we have incredible brand experiences on our site, some of them digital, some of them uh, more analog kind of wall coverings and different things. And of course, our kind of Adobe branded elements throughout our spaces. So lots of stakeholders, which is, makes it a fun. I think that's a pattern in tech. We always have like lots of stakeholders and decision makers, which sometimes was a little challenging that because there's always some a little bit of tension depending on what each of our team's priorities. But, you know, I think teamwork makes the dream work for us. So we... <laughs> Make it happen, create beautiful space, listen to our people, um, and yeah. What are some of the the, the spaces or buildings um, that Adobe's doing right now that you're allowed to talk about? Um, you sure. know that that you think our listeners would find interesting. Like I know there's the building in the the hundred percent electric building. Uh, in mm -hmm. San Jose, and I, there was an, an, a something you guys spoke about at Neocon. What are what are some of those those things as we kind of like begin to to wrap up a bit? Yeah, sure, sure. I would love to talk to you about a couple of things. Well, obviously, we're our North Tower that you mentioned that's 100 electric in San Jose. We're expansion of our headquarters, we're adding 3,000 new seats. Um, we're super excited. It's slated to open. Um, in the next early next fiscal year. So we're very excited about that. It's our, it's, you know, San Jose is where Adobe was originated 40 years ago. We're actually turning 40 this year. It's just so crazy. Uh, it's a big celebration point for us. And, and in this moment, we're expanding in the place where we were founded is really meaningful to us um, for our brand and for our people and for the community of San Jose that we love so much. So that one's just incredibly exciting. When we started that project, we were really very forward thinking. This was pre-pandemic, of course, it takes many years to build a building. Um, and so we're, you know, look considering now what may need to be adapted over time as we continue to finish it. But uh, it's kind of amazing how many things we, you know, you project in the future and you really throw, throw, it, throw the rock as far as you can. A lot of that, over time, a lot of that happens. Some of it doesn't, but a lot of it does. It just depends on how long it takes to kind of get there. And so we're definitely adapting some things, but a lot, I've been surprisingly um, pleased at how many things really, I think are gonna resonate for us in the post-pandemic world. There's a lot more larger community spaces, um, some incredible amenities we can't wait to talk more about, but some places for us to gather as a really large community that have, you know, been in the press more recently. And so we can't, we can't wait to show everybody all the glossy photos. Of nice. It'll be really exciting. So a couple uh, last questions. So what's your favorite video game? Ah. <laughs> oh man, I got to nerd out a little bit. The Witcher 3 is my favorite video game. <laughs> it was video game of the year, the year it released. So I guess that's not totally, you know, I guess it's not a super geeky game, but I replayed it during the pandemic because what else do you do? Okay. Every time when you have to stay inside all the time, and it's still good. I mean, it still holds up real well. I love it. <laughs> that is great. Um, so is there anything else that we haven't covered that you want to discuss? Yeah, I would love just one. I'd love to do like one little plug for an experimentation uh, and some of the things that we talked about at Neocon. Sure. Um, so we founded this 
experimentation program called Lab 82, named after the year we were founded, named after, you know, really created in the ethos of our founders. And it's a, it started as just a space in San Jose where we tested every year new workplace concept settings and things like that and actually invited the employees in to give us feedback. It's kind of a cool brainstorming room. You were allowed to move anything around you wanted. It wasn't super overtly managed. So it was like power to the people. And then we, you know, have sensors and badge data and we did a lot of them in surveys with all the people. So it's kind of a, an agreement that if you use this space, we really want your feedback, please fill out the survey. And it's a little, it's pretty detailed about all the different components and settings. And what we've been able to do since uh, over the pandemic and now as we start to transition a little bit more to hybrid is expand that program. So we're building out a onsite offsite hub. We're building out spaces that are dedicated to testing really new technologies that we want to scale globally. And the employees are really invited to tinker and play around with all of this stuff. And we're going to ask for their feedback along the way. And we're also uh, experimenting a little bit with what should the neighborhood of the future look like, which is incredibly fun. So Mm. the idea that there's a little less ownership over where one sits and people are a little bit more fluid in how they work. We call it dynamic work. Uh, maybe we should consider thinking about our neighborhoods in, in different ways than before because the dust doesn't quite matter so much. So if we don't have all these tests, what should all of this stuff be? Mm-hmm. So we're thinking a lot more about how to test for distraction-free zones and focus areas and a lot more around just a hyper hybrid connectivity and what does that mean? And what is too much connectivity? Like what are too many notifications? And what is like the right amount of connectivity? And so what's interesting about all of these is that it, we're testing things like onboarding processes, we're testing um, team meetings and team offsites and how the behavior of the team actually connects to the spatial environment, the technology, the hospitality layer to all of this is all about the service layer and how we help, you know, promote like a really great, beautiful lunch conversation that's, hmm. you know, catered to all everyone's individual tastes and maybe even has a theme of some kind that connects to your offsite. So a lot of really fun things to testing around and what we really do this so that we can scale these programs globally. When we have a global footprint like this, we need a safe place to fail. Um, and we know that we don't want to do that across, you know, millions of square feet of space. We'd rather do it in certain areas where it's, where it's okay to, and then we can, the things that work, we promote and the things that don't work, we either pass aside or we keep working on it. If we think there's something there and we might bring it, around next year and try try something new with it. And it's it's nice because it's not it's much deeper than just furniture or a architectural system or something. This is actually understanding human behavior and how we can design for it, which That's is great. unique. That's great. It's unique that we have investment in a program like that. And um, yeah, you can really get tires and understand it and then roll it out or roll out portions of it. That that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Also makes it easier for the designer too at the end of the day because then they can yes. make that thing like just look beautiful and sort of the programmatic elements are what they are and they, they're sort of tried and true, which is great. 
Very yeah, cool. absolutely. Very, very cool. Well, listen, thank you so much for being my guest here on the Anti-Architect podcast. Is uh, As far as you're, you're very active on LinkedIn, you've written some, some awesome articles. Um, so do you want to plug your LinkedIn and anything else? Yeah, well, I mean, come visit me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to chat anytime. I'm uh, not a super influencer, but I do love to help people connect. I love a great conversation, workplace nerd conversation. <laughs> so feel free to reach out to me anytime, um, especially LinkedIn. I'm also on Instagram too. You can find me there, but I think I'm a bigger, I'm still a writer at heart. So I like the long form LinkedIn. I love it. Um, that they've gotten into more recently. It's super fun. Well, great. Well, thank you again so much for, for coming on. Thank you. Great to see you.